Welcome to this week's episode of 52 Weeks of Hope. Today I'm sharing my journey through difficulties and uncertainty and how I emerged empowered, secure, and knowing that we don't have to do this life thing alone. In this first episode, I'll explain how I ultimately embarked on a 52-week journey asking questions about the meaning of life and what do we really need to get us through. 52 Weeks of Hope is 52 incredible life messages where you'll get to hear real stories from thought leaders, activists, elders, and people from all walks of life. Their messages gleam from living life and overcoming day-to-day challenges and some real obstacles. This podcast features those messages of how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile, how to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. This is where to find real solutions for today's issues and to receive hope in each podcast. 52 Weeks of Hope where we tell real stories from real people and get real solutions. And now for my story. I'm Lauren Abrams. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. I've been interviewing people over the course of many weeks to bring this podcast about for you. And people have been telling me and divulging all kinds of great secrets and remedies and their solutions for what they do when they're feeling down, depressed, not wanting to get out of bed. They're giving me just such great suggestions to share with you. I've been writing blogs about them or just writing chapters for an upcoming book. Just everything is just to share with whoever wants to receive the messages and the suggestions or to come and share their own suggestions. And what I want to do today is to let you know what brought this all about. What is 52 Weeks of Hope? How it came to be? So as I said, I'm Lauren Abrams. I am an employee rights attorney. I've been practicing law for over 20 years, which kind of blows me away. Yesterday, I read this great article about a woman who brought class action lawsuit against her firm. I just think it's so fabulous because the women are just so clearly underpaid and undervalued and everything else. And I have to say, in fielding calls from employees for all these years and so many calls, some of the most egregious acts are against high-level, high-powered women that have worked really hard to get to the level they're at. And they talk to me and they tell me these horrific stories. They're treated terribly, but they don't ever take action and stand up for themselves because they're too afraid. The same. So it doesn't matter what level anyone's at. And to read about this woman who not only did she take action, she did so very publicly. Now she's going from the dark side and going to practice plaintiff employee rights to practice law, I had to reach out to her and say, yay, anything I can do to help. I get to meet her next week. I'm just really excited about it. And that's what we do. We help each other. That's what I'm hoping we can do here at 52 Weeks of Hope is cheer each other on, give each other a voice to be heard or a message of strength. I'm supposed to talk about me today, which makes me cringe. It's so funny because I don't care if somebody in the middle of the country that I don't know hears this, but I get so uncomfortable sharing about me to somebody who peripherally knows me. Maybe some mom will hear this that doesn't know about me on an intimate level. But Brene Brown talks about vulnerability, and it's when we get truly vulnerable that that everything great happens to us. Staying with some kind of veneer, acting like something that I'm not. Well, I don't do that. I am me. It's just like, this is me. Like me or not. I was told if you don't like me, it's none of my business anyway. And I just keep going with my life. I I mean, I try not to hurt anyone, but everybody isn't going to like me. It's just how it is. Anyway, I am from the East Coast, even though I live in 
LA now and I have for years. And I always remember as a little girl feeling like I didn't fit in, like I didn't belong anywhere. Even in my own family, I thought maybe I was secretly adopted and I wanted some other family to come and take me away from this family I was growing up with. I just never felt comfortable in my own skin. I didn't know why I'd been born. I wished I hadn't. It was just these feelings inside. I could never articulate them. At that time, we didn't talk about our feelings in our family. Everything was fine. My parents were into their social life. They didn't pay any attention to the kids. It was cocktail hour at five o'clock every night and they just kind of went on with their life and we did ours. I just never felt comfortable. That was me. I wasn't some lonely kid, really. I mean, I was and I wasn't. I always was outgoing and had lots of little kids around me, but I never had that one best girlfriend that you could tell everything to because I knew if you knew me, I mean, really knew me on the inside that I was, there was something wrong with me. I felt fundamentally flawed. I thought maybe I'd be locked up somewhere or that I don't know. I just never felt comfortable is as a kid. Today, things are so different. But back then, I don't, you just kind of went to school, do your thing. And I don't know. That's how it was in my family, at least. I, I interviewed somebody a couple of weeks ago and she said, oh, we talked about all my feelings. My mom was so great. And I was shocked because until I went to rehab, I ended up in rehab. So I'll fast forward with that part of my story in my life. They gave us a list of like a hundred feelings and I could choose from one of those to see how I felt. I had no idea how I felt until I went to rehab and then it was still kind of a guess. But anyway, yeah. So since you already know I went to rehab, I mean, when I, I just drinking made me not feel, I love not feeling. I took to drugs. I was just one of those kids. I love disappearing in a book. I could disappear forever in books. Anything to just take me out of real life and any kind of reality. Drinking, I was a blackout drinker through high school, through yeah, drugs, anything. It was 70s through the 80s. I mean, I don't even remember the years way back then. I was just a mess. I was having grandma seizures from the alcohol and drugs. I don't know. I would binge on Girl Scout cookies when I was supposed to be selling them when I was a little girl. Anything to not feel, not feel, not feel. I hated my feelings. I didn't know it at the time, but I did. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I, I was in LA. I was such a mess. Nobody would recognize me. And my family hadn't spoken to me in years. I ended up in this rehab. What they did is they took us to these meetings. I got hope in these meetings and I found out there were other people just like me, which I never knew. I caught the magic in those rooms. I got clean and sober and I've been clean and sober ever since. It's been over 34 years, but it took me a long time to learn how to do life, just kind of do the whole life thing. I started working, saved up money, got a car. I'd be, I talked to people back east and they had already graduated, gone to law school, medical school, getting married. I was just starting college and I was always the dumb one in my family. Anyway, I just, I started going to college. I transferred into UCLA and I didn't think I'd be able to make into my major that I wanted, a communications major, which sounds like a fluff major, but at UCLA, they only take a hundred people a year in that major. And of that hundred, only 25 from outside of UCLA. And I was looking for another major when one of my mentors said to me, they take 25 people a year from outside of UCLA. And I said, yeah. He said, why not you? And that never would have occurred to me. I graduated as a communications major from UCLA and I got to speak at that graduation. And that's one of those things that if somebody didn't say to me, why not you? I never even would have tried. And I was going to school. I was an alumni scholar. I interviewed in a room with all these people around a table asking me questions. And at that point, I, I had enough self-esteem and self-worth. I was learning how to just 
do life on life's terms, be a good, honest person. And I was working full-time and putting myself through college full-time. Graduated as a communications major, and I went to USC Law School, got my master's degree from Annenberg School of Communications, graduated in 1997 from USC Law School and got my master's degree also. And I've been practicing law ever since then. And I got married while I was after my first year of law school. I have two amazing, amazing kids who have never seen me drink or use. They know me like this. They're now 20 and 17. So they still roll their eyes at me somewhat. I got divorced when my son was two and my daughter had just turned five. He gave me full custody of both kids. So I was a single mom. I have been a single mom raising the kids for their whole life. And and I was running my practices. When I got divorced, I started hiring more attorneys so that I could be with my kids more. We needed a bigger house. At a certain point, I, I knew I was missing something. I wasn't sure what. I have a very fulfilling life with my kids and my work. I love what I do for a living. I feel very, very lucky that I love what I do for, my, for a living, that I get to help people who have been wronged at work. I love my work. I love the people I work with. I, I have the greatest kids. But at a certain point, I was doing work on my house. I was always amazed that I could get a house. That <laughs> First, I was amazed that I could get a car without a cosigner. And then, you know, I got a house and I built a life. And I went through financial difficulties, which absolutely floored me because my practice was thriving, but I wasn't bringing in any money. And I had payroll to meet and I had all the kids' expenses and I had a bar mitzvah looming, just all this going on and no money was coming in and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was really kind of at my wit's end. I had nobody. I mean, I, I had nobody to turn to. I'm on my own completely. And I really did not know what I was going to do. So I went through this terrible, terrible dry spell financially. One of my vendors sued me which I couldn't believe. I really couldn't believe. To this day, I will not use that vendor. Everybody else accepted payments, small payments. I was very honest saying I'm in a dry spell. It was just awful. I didn't know how I was feeding my kids for a little bit of time there. It, it was that bad. And I made sure I, I paid my employees, but I really, I just didn't know how I was going to make ends meet. And it's it was just such an awful, awful period of time. My ex-husband used to say that I didn't know how to manage money and this and that. I made sure I didn't have any debt and I paid off all my bills all the time. And if I didn't have money, I didn't buy anything. And he was probably right. Um, but regardless, I went through that period. And uh, at a certain point, I went, I would, at that time, I was going to the, my favorite spinning class. Uh, this woman, Angela, she, she has this thing and you, it's, you just spin and spin and spin in this dark, dark room and the lights are off and the music's blasting and she's doing her Angela thing where she's like, close your eyes, close your eyes. Can you see your dream? Can you see it? If you can see it, it's not big enough. If you can see something, God didn't put that in your mind for no reason. If you can see it, you can be it. And then she was doing her whole Angela thing. I was in her class. I had, I had a bunch of classes already paid for it. And, um, when I was really kind of at my end, not knowing how I was going to get by, I went to one of the classes that I had in my kick. I don't, I don't know how you say that word. Q-U-E, Q-U-E, kick. <laughs> anyway, I went to one of my Angela classes and, and I was in the back row like I always was and, and I was crying and she was doing her Angela thing and I don't know, something shifted in me and I knew everything was going to work out. She, she was going, I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I know someone needs to hear this. And she said her Angela stuff. And, and I really believe that hope is available to us when we're willing to receive hope. 
we can always receive hope when we're willing to receive it. And if we're closed off, I mean, we're closed off, then that's all there is to it. My best friend knew what was going on with me. I do not keep secrets. I am an open book, but the true, like the how bad it was, I don't feel the need to tell everyone that. You know, there, I made sure that there were people that knew just how close it was <laughs> and how bad it was. But anyway, so I'm in this class and, and Angela's doing her thing and tears are streaming down my face and something shifted in me that in that class. It was this really pivotal class for me and I received the hope. I received whatever it was I was supposed to receive and, and I went to work and my best friend came and hang, hung out and just to make sure I was okay because that's what, that's what friends do for each other and, and I just knew I'd be okay and it was, you know, nothing, I didn't get rain, money was not raining on me, but, but I got by and somehow I, I paid for my son's bar mitzvah. It's, these are not some over-the-top bar mitzvahs. We don't do that at our, at our temple, um, but but he had an incredible experience, really incredible experience, which is, it was, it's all about him. And it was paid for. And, and I got through that. And one more time I got through a situation and I started thinking, what is the point here? Like we get through these situations, then we live our life and then we get through another and okay. And what we go through these and then we get old and we die. Like, what's the point here? What's the, why are we here? I decided I was going to interview a person a week for 52 weeks and ask that question. What is your message for me? First, it was going to be kind of geriatric. They say nobody on their deathbed ever wished that they had worked harder or made more money. So what's your message for me? Can you please tell me what you've learned, what you've gleaned from your life of living so far and tell me what's your message? What's your point? I want to know. And I decided to interview a person a week for 52 weeks and just find out. I'm busy. I work full-time. I'm raising my kids full-time. I am of service in a lot of different areas. I've been mentoring a girl downtown LA. And anyway, um, that's just one little facet, which she's so great. Anyway, so I started interviewing a person a week and sitting down and people would tell me, the most unbelievable messages. And they were divulging really personal things to me. I'm not a shrink or anything, but they were telling me very personal things and what they had overcome and what their messages were to me and really divulging their life lessons, I guess. I would go home and I would write it up just for me and I would send it to my best friend and in my verbiage, in my voice and adding humor because I love humor and that's kind of how I write. Just having fun. But over the course of many months, there started to evolve a lot of commonalities, common themes, common messages. It was also ripe with incredible, incredible messages that was just too good not to share. So after a lot of weeks, probably 40 or so, I don't really know how many I went, this is just too good. I have to share it. And thus, 52 Weeks of Hope was born. I thought, I have to, this has to be a book. One of those books where you can just open it and hopefully open to a page that gives you the message that you want or need to hear. If not, close it and open it up to another one. Who cares? <laughs> you're probably alone when you're opening it up anyway. So in the meantime, until the book comes out, I also thought, okay, so also let me interview people, some of the people that are in the book and also other people and ask, what do you do when you can't get up in the morning? How have you gotten through your hard times? Because we all go through it. We all go through our stuff. What do you do? 
when you're having a hard time. There's so many things when it's just, you need a quick pick me up. There's the, okay, go outside, smile. I mean, there's science. If you just smile, put a smile on your face. I just wrote an article on this. That's why I know I just saw the scientific fact that shows if you just put a smile on your face that you feel better. Um, there's science behind it. There's endorphins that are released to your brain. I am not a scientist by any stretch, but anyway. There's so many things. Um, I like to meditate. I like to exercise. Well, I do Angela's class. I still am like, I, I love Angela. She is, she, I'm just such an Angela fan. She has moved on, opened her own studio. I'm, when COVID hit, she and uh, her partner, their their place, Army, A-A-R-M-Y, they offered through Instagram live. They were giving free classes for, I think, 150 days in a row. And that, I mean, I need that. Now, now she's on demand. Anybody, anybody can take an Angela class. It's, I, I, I look at my writings. I have so much about Angela because it just, she's so great and uplifting. And, and, and then I was also told that in order to have a, a shift, we need to be shook up in order to move forward, sometimes two steps forward, one step back. I think the world's going through that right now. So we're having a shift. It's never easy when there's a shift happening. Whenever it's through my biggest pains that I've gotten the most personal growth. I know the most pain I've ever gone through in my, in loves and when I've been through the darkest, darkest moments through death. I mean, the death of my mom. She's never seen my kids. It's just so sad. She always wanted grandkids. And I was young when she was saying, I want grandkids. She's like, I want blonde grandkids. There isn't a natural blonde hair on my head or then there wasn't on hers either. Sorry, mom. I'm like, how are you going to have a blonde grandkid? And my daughter's born with blonde hair. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's funny. It, it's through my greatest pains that I've received my the most emotional growth. And it's a matter of staying in it and walking through. But I don't have to do any of it alone and neither do you. No one does. That was my biggest message that I got through interviewing people. I'm going to post um, Rabbi Ken Chasen's chapter that I wrote for the book. He said it so beautifully, I can't even do it justice, about community. Community was my number one message, that we need community, that we don't have to do any of this life stuff alone, that we need community. So if you don't have community, let us be your community. If you want to find your own community, use this website to find your own community. Create your own via this, let this be a vehicle for you to find community, whatever it is. You don't have to do anything alone. Use this for to find somebody else going through the same thing that you are. Community is so important. The other thing, the other common message was that nobody's going to like this at all, is to put down your phone and connect in a human way. Right now it's COVID. We're not we can't be together, but to actually pick up the phone and hear a human voice and have a human connection is so, so important. I can't say it enough. I came across so many times in my interviewing people that we need the human connection, that we are meant for that. That's We're humans and that's what we're meant for is a human connection. Loneliness is 
just so huge. And I can remember feeling lonely as a child and not even knowing it and feeling unloved and unwanted. And that we can feel that way, even in a room full of people, that we can be, we can be anywhere. I could, I mean, I could be a mom at my, at the elementary school, think everybody is in a relationship, but me, I'm the only single mom there, which is absurd, but it was how I was feeling because I didn't know anyone yet. And who knows? I was taught never to judge my insides by anybody's outsides. We have no idea what's going on with anybody else in their life ever. And today I know I just, I want my life, my problems, whatever they happen to be on a given day. I don't judge. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on in your life. Nobody knows what's going on in anybody else's life. And so I can just sit in whatever's going on. And the other thing I was taught is that feelings peak and can I lean into them? Because when I'm in my darkest, darkest place, it passes and it passes maybe in five, 10 minutes when I'm really in the darkest place. And in an hour, maybe I'll feel better. The other thing that brought this about is that somebody from our community killed himself. I remember riding with my friend to Shiva and looking at her going, we all feel like this. None of us actually do it. We have kids. And this, this is before I had more information. His wife, she posted all over Facebook about it. I I had no information at the time. I didn't know he was clinically depressed. I didn't know anything. There were over a thousand people at his funeral. This is somebody who filled me up inside, who made me so happy. I loved seeing him. I miss him. There's so many people that miss him. I love his wife. I love his kids. It shocked me. It shocked everyone. There were over a thousand people at his funeral that clearly I'm not the only one that felt that way. Standing around and talking to different people at Shiva again, I I did not know he was clinically depressed. This is a whole different thing. I know, you know, it's that's outside anything I'm talking about here, talking to people and saying out loud, I felt, we all feel like this. Nobody does it. And, and the conversations that ensued from saying something like that, because feeling like it and doing it are just two different things. It, it just is. And people would say, yeah, I felt like that when I didn't have money. I mean, People got so honest with me from my community, one of my communities, that I was shocked. I was actually really shocked. So I think having somebody that we can tell our secrets to and not having any secrets because it's not worth it. It's not worth it to have that inner angst, inner turmoil, any anxiety. Right now, people are seeing therapists online. See them, talk to them. If you're not comfortable telling your stuff to your friends, then see a professional. There's, that's what they're for. I mean, life's short. This is the only one we get. So I just really think it's important to get that stuff out and move on and have the chance to, to be happy because even in the midst of COVID and fires and all this pollution and there's political strife and there's just all that. We can focus on that or we can focus on the good. To make a list, I was taught to make a list of everything I'm grateful for. I can focus on what's good or I can focus on what's wrong. And whatever I focus on is what's going to grow. That's that's Angela too. I can, I can do Angela-isms for a long time, but it's true. And so when I get quiet and I focus on wherever I'm anxious and to breathe into that and just breathe into that part of my stomach or my chest or wherever it is, I can get okay and I can get quiet and I can get still or I can call somebody else who's lonely or alone. And that's another way that I can start feeling better. Like that's great. So 
I'm hoping that this helps somebody because when I go and I talk to the to people and I find out, hey, how are you feeling better? What's getting you through? That is when when those messages come across, then that's I mean, that's just beautiful. That's what raises our spirits. That's what makes us happy. That's what gets us through because I'm one of those people that believes everything is going to be okay because everything so far has. When I thought everything was lost, I knew that it was going to be okay. I just didn't know how. So just putting one foot in front of another and keep going no matter what and talking to my friends during it, it was okay. It might not have felt great, but it was okay. And here I am on the other side of it quite a few years later, but I'm able to say with certainty, it was okay. It's just like different heartaches and different bad relationships and everything else got me to this amazing relationship that I'm in now. I would say my husband, but we didn't get to get married during COVID because COVID. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do it another time. Uh, we're next year, hopefully, but it's okay because I'm with the greatest guy now, which if you're not in a relationship, you're like, oh yeah, that's really great, Lauren. Good for you. I am with a great guy and it's a relationship that I never could be in if I hadn't been in all those other ones that led me to the one I'm in today. And it's just like all my other experiences have led me to where I am today. And the same is true for you, whatever you're going through. So hang in there. It gets better. I promise every single thing gets better. I talked to 52 people, actually more than that. And I learned that it all gets better. My father volunteers a gazillion hours a week. <laughs> And he, no matter how upbeat you ever think I am, he is a million times more so. He'll tell you himself, hang in there. It gets better. And it's all about attitude that you keep going. You just keep going and you keep helping others because that's what lifts us up and makes us feel better. So welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, well, where we tell real stories from real people and we get real solutions. I hope you'll keep tuning in and listen to how different people have gotten through different situations in their lives and what keeps them going, what gives them meaning. I'm so excited to do this. I'm so excited you're joining us. We'll just keep going. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday when I talk to the fabulous confidence coach, celebrity communication and body language expert, Karen Donaldson. Do you ever wonder if someone's telling the truth, especially over Zoom? Do you want to communicate better with more confidence in your genuine, authentic voice? Hear Karen's suggestions for when you just don't feel like doing what's in front of you. Plus learn how to sound confident, how to communicate clearly with both your words and body language, and most important, how to reduce that negative self-talk in your head so that you can speak and present clearly in order to get all the results you want in life. Own, choose, and redefine what you believe about yourself. Gain self-esteem and confidence in just next week's episode. Plus Karen, she's so chatty and fun, and she's giving away all this free stuff to 52 Weeks of Hope listeners. So please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a positive review, and send us feedback on our website, 52weeksofhope.com. So tune in next week for next week's uplifting, empowering episode of 52 Weeks of Hope. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.